I think I did eventually arrange a meeting with the female co-founder and I I'm not sure how whether I brought it up directly or indirectly but I did eventually bring up the issue like you know hey I saw the article on Fast Company um, and then she got offended and she said oh well our company owns that thing now I mean of course you know being someone that's very intense by nature like I was man if there were no laws in this world I was gonna do so many nasty things to that woman and to that that guy too like to, I know where they live man but I was so upset see I'm the kind of person where if something really grinds my gears I have to get it out somehow whether it's physically or like emotionally and physically like of course I can't do that if not I'll go to jail but but emotionally um, so I what I did was I went to one of their competitors and I shared the information with them Welcome to Screwed Up Moments, the podcast where it's okay to fail and it's okay to try again. I'm your host, Danny. The start of any career is bound to be challenging. In most cases, you spend tons of time and money on schooling and education to get the degree that everyone says you need, only to enter the working world and realize that you still have much, much more to learn. You might mess up some simple assignment, step on some unwritten rule, get outdone by office politics, or even have your boss shout at your face. You know, just your typical run-of-the-mill stuff. Take it on the chin, learn your lesson, and move on. But what happens when you encounter something that's not so normal? Something that is perhaps out of your control? What do you do then? Do you just accept it and move on? Or will you take action? What happens if you really do take action? What would the consequences be? And what, ultimately, would you be willing to lose? In this episode, we venture out into the professional world where we share a workplace-related screwed-up moment story from our guest, Vicky Lau, someone who you could say had her fair share of difficult bosses. Hi, my name is Vicky, and this is my screwed-up moment. All right, so could you briefly tell us a little bit about yourself? I saw from your website that in your free time you enjoy, and I'm quoting here, dancing, shooting shotguns, writing poetry, horseback riding, and having philosophical conversations. Um, I'm sorry, I was, like, <laughs> I was so distracted by the list. Well, that's basically what I do. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and in addition, I also like to exercise a lot. Uh, but briefly about me, I do visual effects and virtual reality, and I've been doing that for a number of years now in Hollywood and in Silicon Valley, and basically mainly in the United States. Um, so, yeah. Mm. And can you tell us a little bit more about Vicky Lau as a person? <laughs> okay, well, where, where do you want to start? Well, I guess I could talk about the 
the dancing one because like when I was younger um, I was bullied in school and that was mm. like for 10 years so because they were affiliate schools primary schools and secondary schools they're all related you know I, I get to see the same people so um, I didn't really have any friends and to me self-expression is very important and it speaks to me at that age so uh, dancing is one of those things that I like to do because um, it allows me to freely express myself Well, um, it started when I was six and I, I remember, it was funny because I clearly remember this, I didn't read a handbook, right? So there's a school handbook that everyone has <laughs> okay. and it was like all girls school. So you're not supposed to bring toys to school. So I didn't know that. So I brought this cute like stuffed tiger toy from ESSO, which is like a guest. Right, right, right. <laughs> so I brought it to school and then during recess time when the bell rang, I took it out in class and the girls were still around me. And then I remember one girl who turned and saw me playing with a toy and then she pointed a finger at me and was like, oh, you're not supposed to bring a toy to school. And then the whole class joined in. So I felt so ostracized and upset that during recess, I went to the canteen and I threw away my toy. Wait, was that like the first day of school? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, um, but girls, you know, they can be quite vicious sometimes. There were other times like people only talked to me in class because they wanted to borrow colour pencils and mm. stuff for art class. Mm. And that's the only time they ever talked to me. Like they never talked to me for anything else. So I became like this person that was used by all these girls. I was so nice and lending everyone these things that ended up I myself couldn't get to use these yeah. um, and they just tossed it at the table like they didn't even come back and return it to me I mean this must have like affected your outlook and your impression right especially since the first day <laughs> of school yes I mean I barely remember my first day of school it's a good I thing I, th- I think it's a good thing if you don't remember that means it's like it's either very normal or yeah, yeah. it's good so, so yeah yeah so so I mean how, how did that impact you uh, in your schooling years Um, I would definitely say like I had issues like being proactive and going towards people and saying, hey, can I hang out? Those kind of things. Right, and I just right. remained by myself. So right. in a way, I just remained isolated and I, you know, just hung in the canteen. I remember I'll always be hanging around on notice boards by myself, eating oh. my fish balls or whatever <laughs> and reading like the posters there because I didn't have any friends. Oh, so no. I just always go to that same spot and read like the new flyers and posters there by myself eating fish balls. And, and, and how did you deal with this um, um, at the time? At that time, I believe I just, you know, to be honest, I thought it was normal. Like, I mm. thought like, oh, this is just whatever, you know, I just continued. I think I was too young to understand that I was being ostracized right, without right, knowing right. that it's not normal. So, right. so I was ostracized without knowing that. Um, and I believe like, ultimately at the age of 14, I mean, this continued from, you know, when I was six all the way to like 16, whatever. I was given a video camcorder and that's how, you know, I discovered video editing and that's how my passion kind of started. When Vicky was ostracized and bullied at school, she would often go to her various hobbies like dancing or writing poetry to escape or as an avenue for self-expression. So when she received her video camcorder, it was almost natural for her to get drawn into it. Back then, like, there wasn't the, the smartphone. Mm. It was just, like, a really bulky video camera. Mm. So I was given this item, and then I, I believe I went around and started recording nature, because, as I said, I have no friends. <laughs> so so I started recording birds and the trees, and I thought it was really cool. And then the real fun part was editing it, because I realized, mm. like, hey, I can create a story out of these natural elements, and I could put it to music, 
And back then, there was only Windows Movie Maker um, <laughs> and a really big, fat, giant computer. Yeah. Um, so I did that and I felt like, oh, look, this is like a music video. I could express my thoughts through this form. Mm. Um, so yeah. Do you remember like what were some of your earliest videos? Um, yes. The, the, the first one I made was really based on that animals that I shot like the bird on the mm, grass jumping mm, around mm. <laughs> um, and I put it to music I don't remember what music it was but it was like a really happy up, upbeat music and I think okay. I submitted it to like a, a video competition contest oh, okay. um, yeah I didn't win Okay. but it was a fun experience so yeah this new passion however would develop into something greater than just a simple hobby after finishing secondary school, Vicky enrolled into the digital media course at Singapore Polytechnic, where she learned more about video effects and video editing. But perhaps what was more important was that she discovered that she had quite the flair for it. Back then, definitely, you know, parents were all about making each other kid get like the best job yeah. and the most profitable job, which is mainly finance, yeah. banking, law, engineering. So I don't think I recall them trying to steer me away. It was because I was so good and I proved to them I was so good mm. at Singapore Polytechnic that they let me do it because they discovered, you know what, she's so good at it, just let her do it. So tell us about the decision to go study in the States then. Why not stay in Singapore? How, um, how did you end up there? Yeah. So... I guess as most young people, you know, back then we were considered young, oh, still young. <laughs> um, we watch a lot of American movies, right? So right. I'm sure, I'm sure like at least 50% of Singaporeans have some kind of fascination with the Western world yeah. and Western culture. Um, so that played a part to it. And also, I do have to say that in hindsight, it was also probably because Singapore doesn't have a strong art scene, especially for visual effects. Like it's, mm -hmm. You want to further this, there's really no other options, right? So that's why, you know, there's really no scene here. You have to go overseas for that. So um, tell us about your experience while you were studying in the Savannah College of Arts and Design. Then this was, I'm assuming this is like your first time being abroad for extended period of time. Right? Uh, no, actually. Oh, okay. Um, I had an internship overseas ah, okay. from Singapore Polytechnic. So I was a part of the first pioneering batch to test trial this um, program I don't think it's around anymore but it's like the NUS Hollywood Attachment Program and it was about five and a half months when it was just me and the other Polytechnic dude uh, we were both like new to the US and new overseas so we didn't actually venture out that much when we were there we just stayed in the room did our work, went to the office, that's that's all. Right, right. Yeah. So so the internship was more of like just testing the waters a little bit, you yeah. know, dipping your toes a little yeah, bit. Yeah, but definitely did not miss Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah. Okay. So that was in Hollywood, right? That internship experience. Yes. What what is it like? I mean, a lot of people they mystify Hollywood, you know, they think it's this wonderful, glorious oh, place. Let me tell you. <laughs> what, is it, what is it like in um, reality? It's definitely not like what the movies portray. It's not magical? No, it's not. <laughs> it's, it, there's like trash on the streets, there's like homeless people sleeping on the, the walk of fame. Oh wow. Um but the thing is like we can blame the movies for that because they always portray it in a very positive light. Mm. But it really has small layers to that and it's more dirty and crazier than than what it seems. So you've had your internship experience in Hollywood and now you're schooling in Savannah. Mm -hmm. 
what was that like for you? It was good. Like, I did my, again, I was just focused on my work. I did visual effects. I had a few things going on, like film and stuff like that. Um, mm. Yeah, it was a normal experience. Like, interestingly, again, to me, when I left Singapore uh, to the US for that, like, I didn't feel any, oh, I miss home or I didn't have any culture shock. I think I just transitioned very easily mm. or adapted quickly. Mm. Um, and I guess I could credit that to being alone all the time. Mm. So I didn't feel like reliant or dependent on the external. I was always self, I had to be, right? If you're by yourself. Um, so yeah. So after I graduated, I already had a job lined up mm. and I did basically went to work at a studio called Stargate Studios and they did the visual effects on The Walking Dead and then after that went to San Francisco to work at a startup and it was pretty interesting so it's really about sexual wellness and I didn't really um, know about that at the time so they were creating this app What do you mean by you didn't know about it at the time? <laughs> so, so basically like they had to bring you in for a test trial and it didn't because they were in self mode so they didn't want to reveal what their product was oh, about Oh okay okay Yeah so when I went there it was basically like a sexual wellness app about how to please your woman and you, as a visual effects artist I had to go in and like basically do hand tracing on a on a video footage of a person's vagina. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And and that was the purpose of the startup is to basically like do capture video footages of different uh, volunteers' vaginas <laughs> and we had to animate them in post-production <laughs> for this app. At this point in the story, I have to admit, it kind of sounds like Vicky already had her screwed up moment and redemption story. I mean, she was bullied and ostracized at school, but managed to overcome those early struggles to carve out a certainly exciting career in the video effects industry in the United States. However, akin to the way she described Hollywood, things weren't exactly all too perfect. I mean, it's a pretty cool idea. They won an award for it after <laughs> okay. it was released, but it was just like, to me, it was so mundane. The steps required to animate that, it doesn't require any thinking. Okay, okay. It's like a hand, like a frame-by-frame frame animation. So there's no thinking involved. I don't like right, those kind of right, jobs. Right, 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 um, right. Anyway, so th at that point, because now you know the context behind that startup, it was so mundane. I was looking for an out and I was right. in San Francisco already. Like it was really expensive to live there. Okay. Uh, so this VR startup from LA then reached out to me at some point, reached out to me and say, hey, you know, we saw your portfolio, blah, blah, blah. Wondering if you can come by to LA and like create this workflow for us. And I was like, huh, I never did VR before. I was never into VR until then. Hmm. And then I was like, you know, why not? I don't like rotoscoping vaginas. <laughs> So, why don't you go back? And I wanted to go back to LA because San Francisco is so rainy and, and right, cold. Right, I don't right, like right. the weather. So, I left and went to LA in 2015 and worked at that VR startup. And unbeknownst to Vicky, that VR startup opportunity will be when things started to take a different turn. So, give us a little bit more context about the industry. So, you mentioned earlier that VR wasn't really a thing back then. Yeah, it wasn't until Facebook made it a big thing by buying Oculus in right. 2014. Right. It's always been in the works. I, I've, I've seen some previous VR development in the past, like 1960-something, where there were huge, even chunkier devices. Mm. But it was only after Facebook gave that proof of concept by buying 
uh, Oculus for I believe one billion or two billion dollars that made everyone want to jump on the the hype train. It gained um, it gained legitimacy yes. from there, la. Yeah. So at the point when you joined the VR startup, did you have any apprehensions about like where this industry was going, um, or, or was that after Facebook bought? No, I was neutral. Like to me, again, I didn't feel anything. It was mm. a job. <laughs> but I was curious at a prospect and I was like, you know what? Why not? It's something new and I like trying new things. Um, so I tried it out. Okay. So you sent me in the email that this experience at this VR startup didn't really turn out so well. Yeah. So could you tell us more about that? What happened? Back then... The, the biggest issue when it comes to VR filmmaking for live action, there wasn't a proper workflow for basically converting monoscopic to stereoscopic. So just to clarify for listeners, monoscopic is when you watch a movie without 3D glasses, like just a normal flat 2D movie. Stereoscopic is when you have to wear 3D glasses and you see like the things pop up on screen like three-dimensional. Right. So there wasn't a workflow back then. And because I had some experience, I developed a workflow... Uh, innovative pipeline that didn't exist at the time for this startup. Just to clarify, what do you mean by workflow? Yeah. Um, okay, good question. So the yeah. workflow is like a step-by-step process of how to bring in the footage that you have and convert it to something that you want at the final outcome. Uh, so yeah. so basically, they already have a piece of film, but they just don't know how to make it such that you know you can see it with the yes. you can get the 3D effects with the with the glasses. Yes, right? they don't have the experience, and technically that should have been a red flag to me because both founders were acting theater backgrounds, so they mm. had no technical experience. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so they bring you in. Yes. Were you the only person who had this background and experience? Yes. So, what happened? So. After I created that workflow for them, and then I believe they were trying to pitch it to Oculus or something like that. After that, the lady founder, the co-founder, just sent me an email saying, oh, you know what, um, like we don't need you anymore, something to that effect, oh, wow. um, without giving me a notice. The way she went about it was not, it didn't sit right with me because it felt like I was just used to create this workflow. After which, I believe one month later, they got interviewed or they had some kind of interview with Fast Company and they were touting this 3D workflow that they created. And they, you know, they didn't give me credit for it, which I felt like cheated. Like, you know, I was the one that made it. You had no idea how it worked right. until I explained it to you because you needed that. And it was funny because after uh, one or two months, the guy co-founder reached out to me and said, hey, Vicky, um, we kind of need your help. <laughs> we need you to come back, uh, blah, blah, blah. You know, I just ignored it. I couldn't, like, how dare you, you know? <laughs> I love my work and at least give me credit for it, but it didn't. They just sacked me. So, yeah. So, they brought you in to create this essential component of uh, what they were trying to do, their business model. Yeah. They went around, they got interviewed, they said, oh, you know, we created this wonderful new thing. They didn't give you any credit at all. No, I was never ever mentioned ever. And once you helped build this thing, they just sacked you. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah. And (laughs) a while later, one of the co-founders actually reached back to you to ask for help. Yes. Yeah, he did. I have that email. I have all that email. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
Yeah, I'll never forget that day. I was, I was smiling. And I was like, ha, see? <laughs> you guys, two actors on the stage, like, what do you know, you know? Did you, at any point, like, try to fight back and say like, hey, you know, I think I should stay on, you know? Um, um I think I did eventually arrange a meeting with the female co-founder. Mm. And I, I'm not sure how, whether I brought it up directly or indirectly, but... I did eventually bring up the issue like, you know, hey, I saw the article on Fast Company and you guys mentioned the 3D workflow. Mm. You know, it'd be great if you actually credited me um, and then she got offended mm. and she said, oh, well, our company owns that thing now. So that's the extent that I went. Imagine sinking hundreds of hours of passion and labor into a project only to have it ripped away from you. Imagine building a key product for your company only to be fired the next day. Such stories of workplace abuse and bullying are rare. A quick search on Google will garner plenty of examples, but hearing them can still be jarring nonetheless. We'd all like to think that the working world should be fair and professional, that honest work should be compensated with honest reward, but sadly, that is far from the truth. As much as we would like it to, bullying doesn't necessarily disappear after school, it just takes a different form and comes at an arguably greater cost. While some might enjoy great careers with wonderful colleagues and bosses, others suffer for years and decades held down by financial burdens and obligations and silenced by the culture and politics of where they work. In Vicky's case, it's hard not to draw similarities here between her predicament and her earlier experiences of being bullied, the VR startup co-founders being just different manifestations of the girls that had used Vicky for her coloring pencils and crayons all those years before. But this time, however, having been through it before, Vicky wasn't just about to simply accept her fate. I mean, of course, you know, being someone that's very intense by nature, like I was, man, if there were no laws in this world, <laughs> I was going to do so many nasty things to that woman and to that, that guy too. Like to, I know where they live, man. <laughs> I work at their house. They have a cat. Anyway, yeah. So you didn't, you didn't like go you know, talk to a journalist or a reporter to blow up this issue. I tried I mm. tried to talk to that guy that interviewed them on the Fast Company, but he didn't respond. Mm. But I was so upset. See, I'm the kind of person where if something really grinds my gears, I have to get it out somehow, whether it's physically or like emotionally. And physically, like, of course, I can't do that. If not, I will go to jail. But, mm -hmm. but emotionally, um, so I what I did was I went to one of their competitors and I shared the information with them. Instead of wallowing defeat, Vicky took control of her own situation by helping out her previous boss's competitors. So I went there, worked for them, gave them a little bit of the workflow. I created a workflow for them too um, and fixed some of their issues with some of their VR projects. Shortly after, she would share more about her work at the 2015 Annual Technical Conference Symposium hosted by the Society of Motion Picture and Television Engineers. And then in May 2016, she got invited to speak at TEDx Napa Valley. It was so fun. I loved it. Like, I felt so welcomed. And I never felt that before when I was in Singapore. <laughs> Especially when I was really, you know, but whatever. Um, so I felt so welcomed and I felt so happy yeah. sharing the knowledge. Yeah. Knowing that, hey, people are saying thank you for sharing it. You know, whatever. So, so it was a great experience. 
and in 2018, she was a keynote speaker at the Elliott Macy Learning Conference alongside other distinguished figures such as former First Lady Mrs. Laura Bush and star of the hit Broadway production Hamilton, Leslie Odom Jr. Uh, you also do visual effects design for uh, movies, for programs. T tell us about some of the things you've worked on. Um, so besides the stuff that you mentioned already, uh, basically I also worked on Alice in Wonderland 2, Hemlock Grove, which nobody really cares about, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. All in all, it's remarkable seeing the amount of progress that Vicky made, despite the challenges and setbacks that she faced, this time bouncing back stronger and more resilient than when she was still in school. Of course, she will be the first to let us know that not all of her achievements revolved around her screwed up moment. But to me, that is the key ingredient of what makes her so resilient. To be able to ride through the difficult moments and move on, to be able to brush aside the failures and blaze your way forward. In fact, Vicky would exemplify this again just a short while later when she launched her own VR startup. Despite investing a ton of her own money and managing a completely remote team to finish a VR game in just 7 months, the project never really took off and she had to close the company within a few years. From her reaction though, Vicky didn't really seem too beaten up about it. It wasn't sticky enough and at the same time like there's two routes uh, to a certain extent. Either you change, make the changes, pivot, iterate or you fold it up. Mm. So I had to decide as a sole founder of the company, I was like, okay, either we have to raise more funds to just to pivot, right? And is it worth it? Or quit it now, pull out the funds, save money now to invest in something that's better. So that's what I did. So I didn't feel any emotional attachment to the business. And I think that, that you should do that to a certain extent. Yes, you need a passion to start a business, but at the same time, you can't be so, you can't treat it as your baby. Like right, to right, to right, me, right. I joke around with people. I tell people, you know what? My business is not my baby. It's my wife or my husband. You can divorce from your <laughs> wife or your husband, but you can't divorce from a baby. So don't see it as a baby. See it as a wife or husband. And when I pressed her about where she got this mindset or ability to turn her failures into opportunities, she harkened back again to those difficult early years. You could boil it back to when I was ostracized because it was for 10 years and there's a very long time to be isolated and alone and bullied, you know. So I think when people experience trauma or some kind of uh, whatever trauma when they're young, it forces them to grow up quicker and at the same time to mature faster. So I think because of that experience that I had, which I'm grateful for, it kind of allowed me not to be too bogged down by things that happen. So as we round off this episode, I guess Vicky's story wasn't really about a workplace screwed up moment after all, or at least not completely. Of course, this isn't to say that her setbacks didn't mean anything, but that from a different perspective, you might say that it doesn't compare to 10 years of being bullied and ostracized at an all-girls school, which is a takeaway that I find both bemusing and simultaneously terrifying. But on a more serious note, I think her story is a great example of the importance of resiliency and of being able to take a positive stance on failure. Because the thing is, you can never know what other opportunities lie ahead until you've tried, and you won't ever see greener pastures if you never choose to take the next step. And if you're facing certain problems or challenges in your life, maybe you could try what Vicky does and view them in that positive light, 
channeling your anger or frustration into more productive avenues, or simply learning how to move on from a previous failure. Who knows, maybe you'll catch that next break or find something even better. But even if you don't, at least now you've got the tools and the experience to pick yourself up and try again. And so with that brings the end to this episode of the Screwed Up Moments podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in and much thanks to Vicky Lau for sharing her incredible story. If you're curious to learn more about Vicky and her VR-related work, I'll be leaving links to her website in the episode description. Do check them out. With that being said, the Screwed Up Moments podcast was produced and edited by me, Danny Cordy, on behalf of Fable Productions. Episode music was sourced from Blue Dot Sessions, and the theme song was composed by Rico Lowe. If you enjoyed listening to the Screwed Up Moments podcast, you can help out the show by sharing it amongst your friends or by subscribing and leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Otherwise, if you have any questions, suggestions, feedback, or if you have your own Screwed Up Moments story to share, you can drop us a message through the email dkoordi at fableproductions.com. Once again, this has been your host Danny for the Screwed Up Moments podcast, reminding you that it is okay to fail and it is okay to try again. Thank you for listening.